The stories, the passion, the blood, sweat and tears. Up close with those sporting legends who have given it their all. is On The Hill with Snowy. Hey, it's Snowy with episode 11 of On The Hill Podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure you head across to Apple Podcasts, to Spotify, Google Podcasts, iHeartRadio, wherever you get your podcasts from, and like, comment, follow, subscribe to the podcast. Please, if you've got the time, leave me a review. That helps push it out to more people. And uh, go back and check the back catalogue. We're now 10 episodes in. Uh, some great chats there with the likes of Mark Bosnich, Darius Boyd, Justin Hodges, Billy Moore, Billy Harrigan, Kevin Campion, Benny Elias. Uh, too many to remember now. And this week, I'm sitting down with a bloke that I truly admire. As a Broncos fan, they don't come any better. A man who bled for the Broncos club through 347 first grade games, who had two state of origin careers, who represented Australia, who who never took no for an answer and never quit this week. Joining me on the hill, Corey Parker. This is On The Hill with Snowy. Uh, Corey, mate, it's been a while since um, we've caught up. A bit's changed in the last little bit. How have you been through COVID, coming out of COVID now as well? Hey, Snowy, yeah, it has been a while and certainly some things have changed. Um, oh, Pre-COVID, everything was flying along as per normal and then obviously COVID hit and probably hit everyone. Um, none more than, I suppose... The industry that I work in with rugby league obviously shut down over a period of time, and then the um, the red tape that now is uh, what they call the bubble uh, to get back in and out, etc. But I mean, for, on the one hand, um, it needed to be needed to happen. There was obviously a pandemic going on, and uh, paramount was everyone's um, you know health. And uh, since that was uh, cleared up. And the, and the game got back underway, so did, I suppose, my life anyway. You know, obviously working within the media with Fox League, it, um, you know, everything revolved around um, footy, as did yours. And, um, yeah, so there was plenty of change going on at that time. But uh, the good thing is that uh, footy is back. Now, I, I, I say footy, but in general sport. I mean, yeah. to so many of us in Australia and just normal people rely on sport to, uh, you know, to come together and, and to to watch and to have enjoyment out of and over that period of time it was uh, pretty dull for a while so it's been good to to be back at it it certainly is i found myself at one stage there i was watching uh people play tetris the old video game on espn wow. because it was live sport that's how that's how tired it got <laughs> yeah well that that was that was it wasn't it i mean you know uh, with Fox League, with the company I work with, um, you know, they, they were doing reruns of old games and, and just trying to stay current with what's going on in people's lives. Um, but you can only do that for so long. But um, it's it's just it's quite amazing actually how how much we rely on just sport in general. Um, you know, that could be worldwide, it could be here in our own backyard. But when there's no sport worldwide being played, it was uh, yeah, very dull. Well, we're going to talk about some great sporting moments uh, from your career that spanned 347 games for the Broncos. There was state of origins, test matches thrown in as well. Uh, a comeback in the nines, we'll get to that too. But I want to go right back to where it started, Corey. Uh, you grew up in Marsden in Logan. Is it true that you played backyard footy with uh, a little-known player, Cameron Smith, when you were a kid? Is that true? Yeah, see, the story there, um, I grew up in Logan Lee as a young tacker and then moved out to Jimboomba um, from about the age of 12. But the Marsden bit is correct. My, my grandparents lived in Marsden um, and they lived three houses down from Cameron Smith. So my, I suppose, relationship with Smitty stems right back to, uh, to go and visit Nan and Pop. And uh, yeah, you're, that is correct. Uh, we used to kick a footy around and play some backyard footy um, you know, as I said, he lived three doors up from my nan and pop. We also played in the same junior club together. Back then, it was called uh, Brothers St. Paul's. Yep. And um, then it changed its name to uh, Logan Brothers. So both Smitty and, and myself came through at the same time. I'm a year older than Smitty, um, although he looks 10 years older than me. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. We started at the same time. And, and in actual fact, um, 
when my team, as in when I was coming through, if we didn't have enough players, Smithy would often fill in from time to time. So it's, uh, um, and that's the crazy thing, I suppose, getting, you know, in relation to sport and rugby league is, you know, way back then we just played because we loved the game and, and it's still the case now. But the friendships you form um, over that period of time, you know, it's crazy to think that in 20 years' time, way back from then, that, you know, you'd be talking about these players and people and, you know, and, you know, you reach the heights that we were able to reach, um, you know, from two little kids that used to play a bit of footy in the backyard. It's, it's, it's bloody incredible. Did you ever win a referee's decision against him in the backyard, Corey? Or was he calling the shots <laughs> back then as well? Hasn't <laughs> uh, that just exploded over recent years, the referee's decision with Cam Smith? Mate, I actually love that side of him. Yeah. It's, uh, it's well within the rules. It's just gamesmanship. But, um, uh, yeah, it, it's quite incredible, isn't it? That Logan Brothers Club, I remember playing you guys. I was a few age groups below you guys. But whenever you saw Logan Brothers in the draw, it was panic stations because you had so many great players come through that club. But it was always, you were always tough. You were so defensively probably the best junior rugby league club in Brisbane. Uh, some of the names that have come out of that club, obviously there's yourself, Cameron Smith, Lottie Dakiri played there. Uh, did Brad Myers play there? Brad well? Myers played there, yeah. Antonio Winterstein, Josh Papali, yeah. um, Israel Folau. I mean, that's just to name a few. But, um, yeah, I mean, it was one of those clubs now, you know, it was from a, you know, it's in the heart of, of Woodridge. Um, so, you know, without being disrespectful, probably a low socio um, background of people, um, but all from, you know, blue collar, you know, families that have never sort of been given anything. So I suppose that tough, hard edge was already ingrained in the people that were enrolling. Um, and, and from that, um, you know, we played a brand of football, just from my research, from my memory anyway, we played a brand of football that was exactly what you're saying. It was tough. It was, um, you know, somewhat intimidating to other teams. And good, one of the best mate of mine, Brent Tate, we used to play against each other. He played for Redcliffe and I played for Logan Brothers. And he used to say the same thing. He dreaded playing against Logan Brothers because he knew it was going to be physical. And, you know, the players were generally big. We had quite a lot of Polynesians through that um, era, um, you know, big physical game, but um, you know there was some some really good people involved, and, and that's why the club sort of stood this test of time and created and produced so many wonderful rugby league players is because of the people that were involved. So um, yeah, no, it was it was good times. And you were a um, a five eight, weren't you, Corey? You didn't make a move into the pack until a bit later in your career. What were you like as a five eight? Yeah, I was. I um, I played all my juniors as 5'8". Uh, I went into the... So, in under-15s, um, uh, I got picked in the Australian schoolboys. It was just a merit, like an Australian schoolboy merit team. Um, so, I played for Queensland as 5'8", and I uh, got picked in the back row uh, in the Australian merit team. And then from there, probably just progressed into the back row. Um, I guess at that point you needed to have quite a bit of pace. Um, I, you know, I didn't have the, the pace I needed. Um, Size-wise, I was okay. Um, all the other skills were, were fine, but just didn't have you know, the pace off the mark. So moving into the back row was, was probably the right fit. And uh, from 15, 16, 17, you know, transformed sort of from 5'8 into the back row. But I think looking back at my career now, it was certainly something that really helped me honing my craft you know, with a with a pre-line pass and, and with some other skills that I suppose you need in the modern game. So it was, um, it was good to be able to play such a period, long period of time as a, as a 5'8". A goal kicker as well as a young kid, which then, I guess, as well progressing with the NRL. How did the goal kicking come about, Corey? Mate, I was just... Um, yeah, well, as a kid, I always used to practice. I loved, I loved kicking. Um, I enjoyed it. And um, um, when, you, when I come into first grade... I was, I was playing front row. So back at that point in time, um, yeah, I was playing front row in 1999. I played Bronco Colts. You had to be, uh, I was still at school um, playing Bronco Colts and I was playing in the front row. And then um, in the reserve grade, I went in the front row. Anyway, long story short, I got picked uh, to play for the Broncos in the front row. And um, it was basically one of those, you know, we don't know where his best position is, but we want to pick this guy. Okay, we'll just put him in the front row. It's a pretty simple job. Just carry the ball, make your tackles. And that was that. Um, 
But uh, forward, furthering on from that, we were playing, there was a period, I think it might have been, uh, correct me if I'm wrong, I, it may be 2003, um, maybe 2004. Uh, we had a bit of a wretched run with injury as Broncos and uh, Mick Devere and Darren Lockyer were, were our noted goal kickers. I still always practised. That's just something I always did. Um, and uh, the opportunity came out, I think, Mick Devere was out and Lockie was, was, was the kicker and he didn't overly love the role. Anyway, I was at training kicking and um, there was an injury cloud over Lockie going into the game and Wayne said, oh, what do you do a bit of kicking? And I said, yeah, I do a bit. And, um, he, uh, and one of the trainers said, oh, he hasn't missed yet. And this was just a training, obviously. Anyway, come to the game and I got an opportunity and um, it was a, I think we put a fair score on. I kicked four from five for mind and um, you know, there was, uh, that was probably the start of it, to be fair. And it was just something that went over, ended up going over probably 13, 14 year career uh, as a goal kicker. So um, it was, uh, that's, that's how it started. And uh, it, yeah, I mean, from back then, Wayne was very much old school and still is old school uh, in regards to, you know, forwards don't kick goals. You know, that's just not how it works. But um, yeah, in that regard, it, it was a little bit different. Because not only were you a forward, you were so heavily involved. You were making 30-plus tackles a game. You were doing all your hit-ups. So there was times there during a game where the Bronx would score. And as a fan, I'm going, how's Corey going to have energy to lift his leg up to kick yeah. the ball? Yeah, no, I felt that too. Um, but I guess that's, you know, you just, that's when you fall back on your training. Um, that's when you fall back on your preparation. And that's you know, the, the sort of advice and that. I, you just can't, I can't speak highly enough of, what preparation does, it just, it gives you an opportunity to always succeed if you, if you prepare right. And that doesn't matter whether it's, uh, you know, whether it's football, business, life, family, whatever it may be. If you're unprepared and you're not sure what you're doing, you can't expect to go out there on game day or, or, or competition day and expect something's just going to happen. So I always fell back to my preparation. Yeah, I was fatigued in a game, but hey, you know, so does the other people, and you just fall back onto those, uh, you know, to the to the preparation that you've done. But mate, it was something I really enjoyed as well. Um, you know, as a kicker, you know, there were some pretty ordinary times, you know, as well. You go through some periods of missing goals, and you know, the fans they're uh, they're quite frank and, and transparent with the way they think as well, <laughs> and, and rightly so. But um, yeah, there's nothing better also than you know, nailing one from the sideline under pressure and a real pressure kick type thing. So, uh, it, you know, it's good fun. Um, it's not for everyone. First and foremost, you've got to enjoy what you do. You've got to like it. You can't just do it because, you know, they think it's the best thing for you. Uh, you actually really got to enjoy it. Otherwise, you just won't succeed at it. I just want to rewind a second because we're talking about some of the players that you came through the junior ranks with. Tell me about a 14-year-old Paul Gallon, you played him. Was that in a um, a state cup, like a, a Queensland v New South Wales situation that you first came up against, Gal? Yeah, I, I, I'm not real sure if it was 14, but I, I played a lot against Gal, mainly at the you know at the national sort of carnivals. He was he's a year older than me, but um, we always used to come across each other, and I, and I, I remember vividly um, it was. In uh, 1999, there was an Australian schoolboys team being picked. Uh, the carnival was at Burley. He was playing for um, uh, CHS, um, which was New South Wales uh, um, high schools. And I was playing for Queensland. Um, he was a lock, I was a lock. And um, there was an Australian team picked out of, out of it. And the team was to tour um, England, Ireland, France. And I was desperate to get onto that team. I, I, but I wasn't sure because um, I knew I'd had a good carnival. I knew I was playing well, but so was he. And you're just not real sure um, from a selector's point of view who they go for. And I remember getting my name called out and it was one of those moments where, you know, Gallon was obviously G and Parker's P and they call it out in alphabetical order. And, um, you know, there was no Paul Gallon. So I got really excited thinking, okay, well, maybe, just maybe I might get chosen here. And uh, obviously got chosen in 99 to play in the Australian tour um, of England, Ireland, France over Gal. So that was my sort of first one up on him, which um, looking back now was the start of a long um, and respectful sort of career between the two of us. 
Um, you know, he's a terrific competitor, Gal. I, I love playing against him, no, no better than you know, in origin. And um, you know, had a wonderful career also. But yeah, I, I did come up against uh, Gal. I mean, that, that 99 schoolboy team was, um, I mean, I know there's been some good ones, but there was arguably some of the, some really good players I got to play with. And, and at that point in time, you don't know because you're just playing schoolboy football. Looking back now, and, and you know, I played with or well, Justin Hodges, Brent Tate, Braithen Aster, Mark Gaznia, um, uh, Shane Tronk, Michael Luck. I mean, you know, there was about eight or ten um, players that really went on, and, and out of that, there was probably you know six or seven Origin and Test players out of that as well. So it's um, you know that, 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 that it's good to be able to look back now and know that we all started that journey around the same time. That's a phenomenal team. Was there anyone at that age, Corey, who really stood out that you went, wow, that's the pinnacle of this age group? Yeah, so Brent Tate for me, like I actually used to, you know, he's a, one of my best mates. Um, I used to look up to him. Like he was, he was the man, particularly around that 15, 16, 17. Like he was unbelievable. Um, he was a 5'8 as well. Oh, really? 5'8 sort of. And he was unbelievable with what he would do. Um, but then in the, when you go into play nationals, um, you know, Luke Brannigan, he played a bit of football for uh, St. George. He was one of those players, a real, you know, high school, you know, gun. But then there was just some of those players that were unbelievable at school football but just never went anywhere, um, which, you know, no one would sort of know of. But, um, yeah, those sorts of guys, um, you know, for whatever reason, life and different situations get in the road. But, um, it, yeah, Luke Brannigan, he, he was a big name. I think he was signed uh, on big money way back then, you know, when we were only kids, which at that stage was like, holy, this kid must be good. So. I remember when kids, we had uh, Lottie Dekiri came through our school, Carmichael Hunt came through our school, and when you went, when the kids came to school and they had the track suit on, if they had a Broncos track suit or a Cowboys track suit, or if you went to a junior game, and you could tell the difference between the ones that were bought at Rebel Sport and the ones that were kids that were yeah. on scholarship, and then they were just superstars. But, Corey, reading your book, Iron Man, if, if people haven't read it as yet, go and hunt a copy down, especially if you've got a young person in the family who wants to go on and become an NRL player because it's such a motivating book. That you, you touch on a couple of points there at school where you had to deal with some people who were trying to sort of bring you down a peg. Yeah, well, that's just... I mean, that's... I mean, I went to Boaters at High and um, I loved the school. It was a big school. Um, but the way teenagers are and, and school is no one likes to see some people su succeed. That's just how it is. And, and it's that tall poppy syndrome, I suppose. Um, and I used to have to catch a bus from Jimboomba to Bodeza, which was normally about 40 minutes on a bus by the time you stop and all that stuff. Um, and, and at that age, 14, 15, 16, you know, you start to, I suppose, have life experiences with parties and girls and, you know, the opportunity to, to be involved with alcohol and drugs and all sorts of stuff. But um, for me, I always had that one underlying factor. I wanted to succeed. I wanted to play football. And I'm a pretty strong-minded uh, person um, where, you know, friends and that would go to parties and, and you know, I'd, I'd, of course I'd want to go. But um, I knew I had to have a game on the weekend and I wanted to play well and this, that. Um, so... On the one hand, I knew why I was doing it, which was fine. But on the other hand, people thought you were being a bit of a, you know, party pooper and, you know, this, that and everything else. But it's funny now, looking back at those people, where they are now, where I was able to go off the back of some of those decisions I made. So I always, even with my kids now, I always, you know, instill into them that there's, there's two decisions in life. And, and that's the only two, in my opinion. There's good and bad. Now, if you make bad decisions, you've got to be, you got to, and we all make bad decisions. Let's not get caught up in that. Um, but there's also the good ones. So, so for me back then, you know, I was always conscious of trying to make good ones because I wanted to succeed playing rugby league. Um, I sort of put all my eggs, I guess, in one basket in, in going down that path. Unfortunately, it ended up working out that way. But, um, yeah, there was always some challenges along the way. I mean, you know, at school, I always sort of, I suppose... Um, Acknowledge that you know players that have, or people at school that have made rep teams and this that and whatever else. So I won you know a couple of junior sports awards and um, got acknowledged a few times. But 
Um, the older people on the bus, so the year 12 was just a, a quick story in relation to what you're talking about. There was a guy um, on the bus, um, and he used, Chris was his name, he used to sit at the back of the bus. I used to sit about mid-range. and uh, it, it was, it, I used to get bullied. I used to get bullied. So my closest friends used to catch a different bus. They went a different direction. And um, I was sort of the only one out of my French uh, clique or crew, I suppose, that was on my bus. But I used to get bullied. And, you know, things thrown at me, names. And this was on daily. Uh, and, you know, I stood up to them a few times, but it wasn't always wise because there was a few more than me. Um, but the, the moral of this, I suppose, story, I remember it was about 20, 2005, uh, six maybe. I played, you know, six years first grade. At, you know, I had a bit of a name. I played Origin. And um, I remember sitting at a uh, shopping centre opening in Bagara at uh, Bundaberg. Yeah. And um, there was a, a guy and four kids dressed in, in Bronco gear. And um, the kids come through and I signed their hats and signed their gear. And they were all, you know, all happy to see us. And um, I, looked at the, I looked up and the guy said, oh, do you remember me? I said, yeah, I do. You used to bully me on the bus. And that was, that was, it was just funny how, the tables had turned and he, you know, his response to that was, oh, that was a long time ago, blah, blah, blah. But the reality of that was, you know, what he did a long time ago still, you know, still sat with me and I, I remembered that. Um, so, I mean, yeah, that's, that's a story I thought I should share because, um, you know, every action has a reaction, you know, regardless of what you might think. And, um, you know, bullying for me, it, you know, we've all... All been down and being bullied at some stage, but people think because you're successful and uh, you played and you know, you've played footy and you've done this, and you know, people think it's just a rosy sort of merry old ride. Well, it's quite it's quite a bit different, and um, you know that was one little instance from my end. That's such a powerful story, Corey, because it's such a reminder to kids at that age as well that you never know where life path's going to take you further on down the track. And that kid that you bully or you're, that you're poking fun of at school you know, one day your kids are going to look up to and idolise or, you know, you're going to need them to give you a job or to help you out. Like, it's um, it's hard to drum in. We're both dads. My little girl starts school next year. Your kids are, are older than mine. But that's an important lesson to pass on to them. Yeah, I, I think it is. I just, I don't think there's any tolerance for bullying um, because bullying for me is just... The, 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 well, the bully... Um, is the one with the problem and, and it's generally stems from home like if you're not getting a lot, enough uh, uh, advice or enough love or attention whatever it may be from home generally bullies are those people that um, try and pull someone down or, or um, hurt someone either by violence or, or you know, emotionally to try and make themselves feel better so I actually feel for those bullies as now that I'm older but it's, um, it's something that I don't, you know, I, I don't tolerate at all from my kids. Um, you know, kids will be kids and they'll call people names and this, that and everything. I mean, that's just part of being a kid. But they need to understand that it's, there's, there shouldn't be any toleration for, for bullying. Um, and, I mean, you know, one uh, story that, I mean, Jeff Horn, one of the Australia's greatest boxers, where he went into boxing because he was bullied as a kid. Um, and and you know, now look what he's done. So it's just, um, it's really unfortunate. It'll never go away, unfortunately. It's just one of those things. It won't go away. Um, but, you know, it stems from home life. I, I firmly believe that. Um, and, uh, you yeah, if we can all sort of do our bit towards our children, hopefully it'll curve it. But, it, yeah, it definitely won't stop. Also in that book, you talk about Cyril Connell and anyone who's grown up in Brisbane knows who Cyril Connell is. I mean, just an absolute legend. When he came yeah, and approached yeah. you and said, Corey Parker, the Broncos would like to sign you on a scholarship. What was that moment like in your life? That must've been a huge turning point. Yeah, it was. It's, um, it's funny the things over a long period of time, when I say long period of time, I'm 38 now and, and this happened when I was 15. And I still remember it. Um, he drove down my driveway. He was in an old, um, well, it wasn't old, it was new at the time, uh, a Commodore. I think the Broncos were sponsored by Holden at the time. He was just in a Commodore. He got out of the car 
he was always a little bit disheveled, Cyril, but he was never sort of clean cut. He was always a little disheveled. <laughs> and uh, he came around, we sat outside, he walked around the side of the house, had a cup of tea, and um, he had this letterhead and it had the Broncos yeah, emblem on the top of the letterhead. And he sat down and he pretty much just went through you know, what the Broncos were thinking and why. And I mean, a scholarship, it was basically in layman's terms, it's just, it's like a lay-by. Um, so, yeah, if the club wants to terminate or, you know, they don't want to buy you type thing or put you on a contract, they don't and vice versa, same for player. So, mate, it was uh, $1,500 was was the scholarship. So seven fifty went towards schooling and, and, and the like and seven fifty went towards... Um, you know, apparel and boots and all that sort of stuff. Uh, the decision was very easy, but that that point in time, uh, I just remember it really clearly. It was just one of those um, light bulb time, uh, moments in time where it just, uh, you know, I still remember where we were and what we were doing. And, um, that was the start for me of, okay, this is something that can really, um, you know, can really sort of change my life, and, and it did. And, um, you know, from the great man, Cyril, he's, you know, he's, uh, he's been involved with a lot of footballers. He, you know, he's been passed away now for, for a period of time. But um, that moment for me was, was a really special one because, of, A, it was a club I loved and, and B, um, it was one foot in the door. Now, um, didn't get me through the door at that stage, but it's certainly one foot in and, and the rest was up to me. And, um, you know, still working with the club now, so it's been a good one. And he went into bat for you, didn't he, Corey? Because there was some, um, not some concerns, but there was some question marks over your size. As you said, you weren't the biggest kid going around there. They weren't sort of sure where to play you. Your yeah. determination, though, to get to that first grade level, did that inspire you when those questions were being asked? Yeah, well, it's funny because when you're that age, you don't, you're very tunnel visioned on, on your own self and you don't really see the greater, I guess, perspective from everyone else, that being a, a recruitment officer anyway at a club. Now, now I've been in the game for a long time. I understand it. I understand how it is. So if I was looking at players and I went to a schoolboy carnival, as they all did back then, the, the ones with the talent, they, they tick their own box because they stand out. But for different people, it's not about the talent because you can work on talent. Um, yes, talent is great and you need it, um, but it might be something else that you might see. And it might be something, you know, might just be as, as simple as, you know, it's been a, a tough, thorough affair and, you know, player A might, you know, just pick himself up off, you know, when he's buggered and he might just do something that was just a little bit, you know, a little bit different. They're the things, they're the qualities you like and they're the qualities that I tried to build my game on way back when. So I was thinking, I was sort of hoping, looking back, that you know, they're the qualities that they saw and the rest they can work on. Um, and, and for me, you know, when I come through, yeah, I wasn't never the biggest guy. Um, I, I did get bigger when the game got bigger, um, but there was a bit of an effort. Um, but for me, it was, it was all about, you know, I suppose, you know, the work ethic that, I was, that was instilled in me from mum and dad, but... The uh, just the good old fashioned having a crack, like I just, I just couldn't. It didn't sit well with me if I knew I didn't go out there and have a red hot crack um, for for my teammates and, and myself. Um, was there times that I performed poorly? Yeah, there was, but um, you know, it was never on a on a um, over a long period of time. It was something that you know, consistency was something I really prided myself on. So I tried to. Um, yeah, emulate that as, as often as I could. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, yeah, there's people that are always going to knock you. I, I mean, Wayne tells a story. Um, I was only, again, I was 17, and uh, I was playing reserve grade, playing the front row, and we played East Tigers in a semi-final. And um, they had a real... Back then, the, the Queensland Cup was a really, really strong competition, full, full of old heads, and, 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 you know, those 100, 200 gamers that were old and... Um, you know, they taught you some real hard lessons and I really believe that. Anyway, some games you'd go in there, you'd, you'd be petrified, but you just didn't want to give an inch and you didn't want to show anyone that you were. And um, looking back, you know, the, the game Wayne mentions was 
you know, I sort of come in, uh, took on the, the, the East Tigers pack, um, you know, not single-handedly, but had one of those really sort of standout games and, and went after the, you know, the more, I guess, aggressors in their side. And, um, you know, for Wayne, that was a, a game he talks about. So, you know, getting back to what you're saying, yeah, that, people look for those little, those little subtleties in games as opposed to the talent at, at times. That wasn't only in reserve grade, though, was it, Corey? I heard some stories when you came in, and you came in as a forward and as a front rower into a Broncos side that at the time had the Queensland State of Origin pack. Shane Webke, Andrew G, Gordy, Brad Thorne, Petro was coming through as well. How intimidating was it for you to come in and try and make your mark against those seasoned guys? And when you got the chance to play opposed sessions with them, how important was it to show that you could stand probably not, you know, toe-to-toe, you know, you're going out there yeah. with gloves on and fighting them, but showing that you belonged with them. Yeah, well, the, the most important thing, the thing for me was to have their respect. Now, how do I get their respect? Well, I get their respect by what I do on a daily basis. Um, yeah, as I said there before, you know, I never sat, sat well with me sitting in the dressing room not being able to look your mate in the eye. Now, when I first come in as a kid, um, you know, those guys you just mentioned, Webby and Andrew G and um, Harvey Howell, you know, some of these older guys, um, you know, Gordy and um, Tony Carroll, Brad Thorne, you know, they, they were the, I suppose, the big dogs, for a better word. And I was just this young kid, 18. And, you know, for me, as I, you know, I never took a backward step. Um, regardless of who it was, and I did, did that for a reason because it wasn't, it's not my DNA, but also I wanted their respect. So, mate, there was numerous times um, I had got into fight or wrestles or with, you know, Webby and Gigi and, um, you know, a couple of those guys just based on the fact that they'd try and rough me up. They were doing it for a reason to see, I suppose, where I was at and what I was capable of. And, um, yeah, whether that's right or wrong from, is up for debate. Um, <laughs> that's just how it was back then. It doesn't really happen like that now, but it's just how it was. Um, touching on the bullying, well, it wasn't bullying as such, but it was certainly a crash course into knowing, you know, the people that are going to be involved in the club now. Um, you know, the people I looked up to were, were those guys. I wanted to be those guys because they had been doing it and they were at the top of their game. And, uh, you know, if you're going to hang around somebody, you know, it's one of my life mottos, hang around good people, you tend to be a good person. Well, here I was, 18-year-old, thought, you know, thought I knew it all. And I, uh, you know, one of the things I wanted to do was try and learn everything I could off those guys. But the other thing I wanted to do was what I just touched on, was I wanted to earn their respect. And the only way to earn their respect, first and foremost, was at training, by not taking a backward step, regardless of who they were, and then, um, you know, going, transforming that from training then onto the field. But I've got a lot um, to, to thank those guys for when I first come in as an 18-year-old. Um, but, yeah, I mean, looking back, there were some tough times. There was some, yeah. But, I, that, you know, that, that was also the culture of, of rugby league. But more important, that was the culture of the Broncos back then. Um, playing the forwards, you were treated differently to uh, a back. That's just how it was. And, and rightly so. I still firmly believe that now because you do a different job. So you should be treated differently. Um, but those guys were, they were certainly good at it. <laughs> he was the best. I reckon Andrew G, like he was, he looked angry when he was happy. Yeah, GG, yeah, he, like he was my roomie for a long time. And, um, yeah, he was some, someone I learned a, a hell of a lot off. He was at that latter part of his career and I was just at the start. But Shane Webke, mate, was, he was a guy that, you know, he trained exactly the way that he played. And um, training was very different back then in the sense it was now it just seems to be it's, it's, it's really accommodating for every player. Back then it was, you know, the 17 guys that were playing on the weekend, but more importantly, the 13 guys were going to start. So there was numerous training sessions back then where I'd try and ask Webby or Gigi or Thorny or whoever it may have been, Petro to interchange, you know, to get a run. And they just flat refuse. Yeah. Just flat use you. So I thought, oh, buggy, yeah. if I can't get you out, I'll just run with you. So, yeah, there was, there was numerous, as I said, numerous times that I'd 
just train alongside. We'd have 14 guys on the park because um, they wouldn't move. So, you know, think outside the box. If you can't beat them, join them. So that's what I did. <laughs> but it was, uh, it, it was very different back then. But looking back, it was, um, it was certainly... It, it, there were some really good times, but it, it, it just galvanised and set, I, I, I guess, put a, a layer over me that was, you know, from such a young age... That was I was able to then adapt moving forward after that once those guys moved on. That competition for spots was so crucial for the Broncos and made the Broncos such a competitive team. I want to touch on the Broncos played the West Tigers on Friday night, and you were part of that baby Broncos side in was that two thousand two, Corey? Mate, I think it was two thousand two or two thousand one. Yeah, one of those ones. But yeah, that so that was if not the most famous club victory that has stood. It was origin time. We, were at, we, we had 11 or 12 out. It was, we, we fielded a team which had... There was seven debutants in that team. Just some real no-names, some real no-names. I'll start in front row. Seven debutants, as you said. Um, and, yeah, getting back to what I started with, never wanting to let your mate down. Well, we had an opportunity there as a group. Craig Bellamy was our coach. Um, he was our trainer at the time, but he, Wayne was obviously involved in Origin. So Craig Bellamy came in. Um, and every Origin... So back then, I, I wasn't... But when you're in Origin camp, you love watching your team. You love watching your team. You're not involved and love watching them. And so from their point of view, we had 12 guys away. We were all watching that game. No one gave us a hope. A bunch of kids go down and we roll the West Tigers. And it was an amazing um, achievement as a club and a bunch of kids. Um, and, but looking back, it was just about, again, um, you'd be surprised what you can achieve when you just got a bunch of guys that are just willing to have a crack. And that's all we did. Um, you know, we, we had a crack. We went after the game. We didn't know how long we'd be able to compete for. Um, but the longer the game went on, we just were able to find a little bit more and we come away with one of the greatest victories the club's ever been a part of. And um, you know, for me, I, I was just a young front rower at the time, but um, the satisfaction yeah, you, you're, I remember having was immense, but the satisfaction that the players would have had that weren't there would have been very good also. And, and that does wonders for your club. Let's talk some Origin, Corey. I don't think there was a, a national anthem in the time that you played Origin that you didn't have tears in your eyes, what it mm. meant for you to pull on that maroon jersey. How did you find out that you'd made your first Origin side? Yeah, got the call um, just through the Broncos. that They, they sort of um, advised me, which was, uh, which was amazing. And um, you're going into Origin camp, again, you, you know, I'd only had three or four years of first grade under my belt by that stage. Um, it, we were one nil down. I debuted. We were playing at Brisbane. Um, and, you know, I just remember... There's not a lot I remember of the game all the week, to be fair. But just running out at Suncorp Stadium and looking around um, and seeing all the fans was overwhelming. You know, standing on the line in the origin uh, for the anthem, I still think it's one of the greatest things you'll do. Um, and it's funny how, it, how it's changed over the years. You stand there and you, at that stage, it was just my mum and dad and, and, and girlfriend. Um, at the latter part of my career, it was mum, dad, girlfriend, uh, wife, kids, and it just changes that way. And that's what it means. Um, you know, you look around and, and the way that origin is, is able to unify our state regardless of what's happened or, you know, from an individual, from family, wherever it may be, for that moment in time, everyone's problems go away for a moment. And, and to know that you're a part of that um, is pretty special. And, um, you know, for me, in, in 04, that was the game, the, infamous, or the, the famous uh, Billy Slater chip and chase uh, and, and scored. Um, so that was my debut game. And, uh, yeah, it was very, something very special. Um, but you know, fortunate enough to play 19 Origins and, um, you know, I had a bit, I had a setback myself as well in Origin. I played no four oh five, and then, mate, it took me six years to get back into that Origin team, which was 
um, which was which was hard. It was um, it was something that was a pretty bitter pill for me to swallow. Particularly, I, I knew I was a better player. I knew um, I, I'd grown as a, as a footballer. But in 2005, they went a whole different direction. We'd lost both those series. They went a different direction. Mel Meninga come on on board. He bought a whole heap of young guys. And uh, for me, I had to sit on the sidelines, like I said. And, and, you know, this fire that was still burning inside me, um, watch Queensland start on their sort of a run of, of dominance. And then when I got back in, in 2011, I just made a bit of... I knew that I wouldn't ever get back out of that side. And, and the rest was history. But uh, it, was, uh, it was some good times. What was it like, Corey... From 06 to, well, 06, 010 series, what was it like having been there then watching the games? Did you have the same enjoyment watching or was it tough to watch? Because you played some of your best footy, club footy, during that period. Yeah, it was tough, mate. It was tough to watch. Um, and, and if I'm being very honest, I always went for Queensland. There's no, yeah, it's just what I mean. But I wanted the players in my position to play poorly. So I was really selfish like that. I was like, geez, I hope, hope we win, but I hope this person, that person play poorly. And that's just how it was because um, I was, I knew I was thereabouts and I always wanted to make sure I was thereabouts um, and, you know, wanted to make sure that, you know, the selectors knew I was, I was ready to go anytime I needed. And that time for me came in 2011, um, six years on. Now, there was periods of time in that, you know, I was playing decent footy and I knew I could mix it with in the origin and test Serena. And I, I strongly um, considered uh, playing for New Zealand, my mum's a she's a full blood Kiwi, um, so I was eligible to play for New Zealand. And uh, but again, getting back to the emotional ties, you know, I would have been doing it um, just because I wanted to play international football, um, not because my heart was in it. I just firmly believe your heart needs to be in those games, and we've seen over, you know, over what well, history tells us that some players that have played for. Uh, for countries when their hearts not in, it just quite doesn't have the same effect for mine. So, I, yeah, that was a real, but I, I was eligible. Like I said, Mum's a full black Kiwi, so I was eligible to play for New Zealand, but I held off. And uh, in 2011, I was able to get back in the Origin Arena and got an Australian jersey at the same year. And looking back now, it was a great decision to hold off because, uh, you know, winning World Cups and 19 Origin and 13 tests is, uh, is pretty good. That's where the, uh, the, Corey Parker, you started becoming the red wine. Everyone kept saying you were getting better and better with age. <laughs> was it more special the second time around, Corey? Like, you had your debut yeah. in 2004, but in 2011, coming into that side, you would have felt like a debutant again, even though that you were established first grader and at the time, the best back rower in the competition. Yeah, I had a different outlook, mate. It was, um, you know, when I was there in 2004 and five. Um, I mean, I didn't subcon- you know, subconsciously or looking back, I was like, well, yeah, it was great to play for Queensland, but I probably didn't give it the gratitude it deserved only because once I sat out for six years, then, then you sort of understand what it deserves. Now, when I come back in 11, you know, Mal had formed this real understanding of the history of origin. Um, you know, I was six years older as a, as a, as a human as well. I, you know, I was a lot more mature in the way I, I approach things. My football career was six years older. Um, I was a better player. So I actually approached the whole camp differently. And to some degree, I think I was 28 when I come back in. So I was more one of the older guys. Um, and yeah, just, you know, when I, when I went into the game, I just, you know, I was, I was inclusive right from the start. It wasn't just, you know, you're here and you know, see what he can do. I was actually, you know, I was inclusive from the start, and I think it only took me one or two games to then get the 13 jersey. And you know, once I got that, it was, uh, you know, I held that until I retired. So it was, uh, it was pretty special, but um, you know, it, it, unique story, I suppose, to to have be at, you know, in exile for for that long period of time. And it's a really good. You know, I tell the story. You know, it's a really good story for you know persistence and hard work. It does pay off. Um, yeah, six years, it's a long time. That's, there's no two ways of putting it, but um, I never lost sight. I, I, again, back, you know, going back to when I was 15, making those decisions based around parties, and I, I never lost sight on what I wanted to achieve. I always wanted to get back into the jersey. And, um, 
that opportunity came for me when I was you know, in 2011. So, yeah. Because your game changed a lot through then as well, Corey. We saw you as the front rower and the battering ram yeah. with the massive engine. And then uh, you moved into the back row and then you became one of the best offloaders in the game as well. And you could play before the line. How hard did you work to evolve your game or was it more making coaches aware of what you were able to do? Yeah, I think it was, I think it was just the comfortability of, you know, I'm also growing. Uh, you know, always had the skill, always had the skill and the ability for, for all that, you know, the offload and, um, you know, pre-line pass. But when you're a young kid um, under Wayne coming through, he, he always, you didn't want to make mistakes. I mean, well, if you don't want to make mistakes, you don't take risks. And part of taking a risk or, or, or you know, doing that, you know, trying to come up with an offload or a pass is there is a bit of risk involved. So as a young kid, if I just might, you know, if I, you know, Wayne would jump all over you if you made mistakes, well, okay, if I'm going to play like that, i just got to be that battering ram, as you said. Um, but then moving up, you know, growing, felt more comfortable. Um, you know, your spot on the team was sort of solidified a little bit more. You start making risks, uh, taking risks, um, but they're a calculated risk. Would they, were they all great? No, they weren't. But, um, you know, the offload, for example, is something I've always had. It's something I always did when I was younger. Um, but it's, in my opinion, it's still the best player in the game at the moment um, because defensive lines are so structured, particularly when, you know, I took offloading, you know, into the origin. It, it just gives you another point of difference. Um, and, and, you know, with structured defence, if you can get a late offload away, it just throws everything out of whack. So it's it's a real point of difference. But um, yeah, so I mean, it was people it, to some, it was like, where did this guy all of a sudden appear from? He's now offloading and passing. It was something I always had, but the risk, I suppose, I'd eliminated and and just went with it. He was offloading. He was passing. He went from being the chrome dome to the flowing <laughs> silver fox locks. The uh, Broncos at that time went through some changes as well, Corey. You had a few different coaches. Ivan Henjack came in. Anthony Griffin came in as well. What were they like to work under? Terrific. I had great relationships with both those guys. Um, Ivan Henjack was my reserve grade coach when I first came in uh, in 99. So I had a, an understanding with him when, when he went into, uh, obviously, the top job. He was an assistant there for a period of time. Um, I really liked the way Ivan... Uh, his outlook on the game. I liked him as a coach, but I understood why he didn't succeed. Um, you know, he just didn't have that uh, that, that um, uh, people management that you, you need as a head coach. Um, could he coach? Yeah, he could coach, absolutely. Um, but um, I could understand why he, he didn't succeed in, in that regard. Um, you know, he'd get people offside or vice versa and um, couldn't move past it. So that was that. Uh, Anthony Griffin got a lot of time for Hook. I, I value everything that he stood for as a coach. I think he's terrific. Um, I, I would be very surprised if we don't see him coaching in the near future. Um, you know, I, I look back to the 2014 season into the 15 where we go to a grand final, 13-14. Um, you know, Anthony had our group ready for a grand final. Um, you know, the way it, I suppose, unfolded from him getting sacked and Wayne coming in was out of his hands, it was out of everyone else's hands, um, but he was a terrific coach. I, I just loved his honesty. I loved the way he passion. Um, and, and when I say honesty, it didn't matter who you were, um, it was honest and it was, it was frank. And, and I think, you know, at the, uh, you know, from a player's point of view, or certainly from my point of view, I wanted to know very upfront and honest on what you thought and how you thought it, not beat around the bush and, you know, give me something in a different way. If you think I'm, I'm playing shit, tell me that. Yeah. Don't you know, think, oh, do you think maybe you could do this better or that better? Just tell me how it is. Um, but, yeah, so Anthony was, uh, he, he was a terrific coach, um, really good man manager, enjoyed, I thought he had that balance really right with his group, enjoyed, you know, having a beer and sitting around having a laugh, but also you know, had the respect of playing group. So, yeah, there's a few different, I suppose, coaches over that period, uh, different de dynamics, but all, all with the same sort of common cause. You touched on one year there, 2013. And I looked back through your, because I, I knew all the, 
awards and accolades that you'd won, but I just wasn't sure the years that you won them. Your year in 2013 was outstanding. You were the Broncos Player of the Year. Well, you won. I was at that awards night, and I'm pretty sure you won every award. You won like Players Player, Forward yeah. of the Year. You got the the Paul Morgan Medal. Uh, you also won Dally M Lock of the Year. You win the World Cup. You were the League Week. Was it League Week Player of the Year award? You won that year as yeah. well. In uh, the Ford Award, when you're then going in to negotiate your contract, Corey, mm. is it true? And and please, if I'm out of line, don't have to answer the question. That you were offered what seems like pittance, a couple hundred thousand dollars. No, no, you're not out of line. No, that's how that's does correct. That, a bloke who bled for the Broncos, and at the time you were. I'm not. I don't want to pee in your pocket. You were the Broncos. You were yeah. uh, the number one man around town. How does that happen? Well, looking back and understanding the industry, um, and this is no disrespect to the Broncos. No one held a gun to my head and said sign this. But I, I yeah, I, I, I did. I, I bled Broncos. That's just what I was. It was my DNA. Um, so to sort of, you know, I looked after myself, I managed myself, um, and the, you know, there was no real risk of me going anywhere else, was there? So, um, you know, from their point of view, they came up with an offer that they thought was good enough. I thought it was very ordinary. We go. I don't, I don't agree with you. That blows my mind. If you, I mean, you would have asked Broncos but, fans at the time. They would have put the hat around, and people would have been emptying their pockets. Like you deserve to be earning way more than that. Yeah, but I mean, the reality of that is, mate. Um, again, you know, that's part of negotiations. That's part of business, and and you know, that's the side side part of, I suppose, rugby league. Now, no one, as I said, no one put a gun to my head and said, "Sign this." I, I. I Made the decision at the end of the day, good, bad, or indifferent. Um, but that's where it was. And, um, you know, pride and, and, and loyalty were, were a few things that I, I really valued. And uh, the Broncos, um, yeah, it depends on you, how you want to look at it. I mean, when I first signed my first contract, my first NRL deal I, I, was $80,000. And my pay had increased until that point over that period of time. So there's one way of looking at it. You go, well, I've got a pay increase every year until now. Um, so that was one positive. Um, but, I mean, there was an opportunity and, and, and I looked down at the avenue of, of actually going overseas. Wow. And I had a three-year deal to, to, to go overseas if I wanted to take it. Um, but, again, it just didn't sit well with me. Broncos was what I was. It's part of, as I said, my DNA. Um, it was... Uh, yeah, so so I didn't, um, and yeah, I'm, I, I you know I still work at the club today. Yep. Um, I don't know if that'd always be the case if you were to go somewhere else, um, and that's not why I did it. But the reason I did it was the Broncos are just who I am. Because the Bulldogs offered you a contract at one stage, did they not? Yeah. Were you tempted? At yeah. All? Absolutely. So, I mean, this is, and to put it in context of the now, what's happening right now with the David Fafita scenario going on, and, you know, money doesn't buy, buy your happiness. It, it just doesn't. Um, sure, it, it, it'll put a bit, of a, um, a bit of a filler and a gap here and there, but um, it doesn't buy you happiness from football. Um, so, for me, in the context, so I signed that, that $80,000 deal. So I was playing first grade. I'd played 10 games. I'd only had 10 games in first grade under my belt. Um, I was a front rower. Craig Bellamy had just signed at Melbourne at the time. Timing's everything in rugby league. Uh, the Bulldogs offered myself and Brent Tate two, uh, a three-year deal each. Um, I was offered 150, 160, 170. Um, remembering I'd only played 10 games. And then Melbourne come in at the 11th hour and offered me, because Craig was involved with the Broncos at the same, uh, before then, uh, they needed a couple of young front rollers. They offered me 180, 180, 190, 200. And I stayed at Brisbane for $80,000. Wow. Uh, so I look back at that and, and I tell that story to people um, based on the round, the fact that looking back since then, 
I won a grand final. <laughs> I played for my country and I played for my state and I still love the club I'm at. So getting back to the story of money doesn't buy everything in the context of things with Dave Fafita, now he's offered an absurd amount of money. But the, the money the Broncos are offering, it's nothing to sneeze at also. So you just got to weigh right up. You know, for me, I took the money aside. So this is how I went through it. I took the money aside and I just went, okay, if there is no money involved, where are you gonna, what are you doing? Of course, I'm playing the Broncos. Well, and I, you know, the Broncos were and still are you know, such a big club. If you can make it at Brisbane, you'll make it anywhere. And that's just how I looked at it. And um, yeah, the rest is history. But it was, uh, there were certainly some opportunities to go elsewhere. As a Broncos fan, I, I'm glad you stayed because... Like yeah, I don't, know, I don't know that that's the case much more anymore. I think yeah. there's been a real shift in modern sport in that regard. Um, you know, there's still a few loyal, when I say loyal, players that have, you know, been at clubs. I mean, yeah, Cameron's one of them, obviously. Uh, you, know, you know, Paul Young retired last year. Players that have played long time at, at clubs. Uh, yeah. It's starting to change quite a bit. What did it mean to you then, Corey, to be announced as a captain of the Broncos? Uh, given all the achievements you had up until that stage, what was that like? The club that you grew up and loved, you stayed with for less money, to then be the leader of that club uh, with the C next to you, know? Yeah, special. Very special, mate. Um, yeah, just from an emotional point of view, special because, yeah, that's what the club meant to me, first and foremost. Um, secondly, to be able to be in charge, I suppose, of, of a bunch of guys that, you know, were all on that journey together was 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 also equally as good. Um, so, I mean, yeah. And, and from a personal point of view, just really humbling to know that, you know, some of the guys that have been before me that I was now up there with them as well. Um, so it was really special in that regard. I know we're uh, running short on time. I just want to touch on a couple of other things that I know would have meant a lot to you as well. 2015, you win the Wally Lewis medal. Given mm. that you had the start of your, you had two origin careers that melded into one, but to get that recognition in that 2015 series as the best player throughout the series, how much did that mean to you? Yeah, that was, uh, and still is, the, the highest individual accolade I've ever, I've ever received. I mean, Origin is, is an arena where there is no hiding. There is the best of the best. There is no rest. There is um, an intensity involved. There is the, the anticipation. It, it's everything. It's, it's the pinnacle of what you do as a rugby league player. Playing for your country is still you know, the number one, but the pinnacle of what you do in terms of the the, 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 you know, the intensity of the game is origin. And, uh, yeah, from the stories that I've just mentioned, obviously played in 0405, six years off, back in 11, um, and then in the 15 series um, to, to, to get announced as the best player in the origin series um, was, for me, felt... Uh, like it was just the icing on the cake and and the solidification that you know you've 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 done it you you've 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 made you've done what you wanted to do um, and yeah the team that we had was incredible yeah. also um, the team that New South Wales had the series that we had that that game that last game was possibly one of the best games I've ever been involved in. Um, from a player's point of view, we had unbelievable talent. Everyone played to their potential, which is not always the case. Every individual played to their potential. We ended up putting 50 on New yeah. South Wales, and, and it was just a, one of those unforgettable nights. And then, um, you know, for Wally Lewis to then give me the Wally Lewis medal was, again, the highest individual accolade I could. I could and to do it in Brisbane in front of my friends and family was, was so special. Because, um, really good. I um I grabbed your book and I read your book when it first came out and for some reason Corey I've got a book I've got your biography and I've got all these signatures in it and one of them's from Wally Lewis and he's written a message in this book I'll send a photo to you and I'll text it through to you it says the kid from Logan that no one expected to make it 
but he did, and he did it well. Wally Lewis. And then there's one here from Gene Miles. Played well at the highest level of our game for a long period of time. Well done, Corey. Gene Miles. I don't know how I've got your biography signed by those guys, but to be held in that esteem by legends of the game, that must be... I can't, I can't imagine what that would feel like. Yeah. No, well, I, I, didn't, I don't know how you got that either, to be fair. Um, and two of those guys captained the Broncos back in the day. And, and two of those guys are arguably, you know, two of the best that, that have been on the field. Um, and, and again, to get their um, stamp of approval is, is special. It, it is. And it's not until you retire, and, and now I've been out of the game four years at the end of this year, it's not until you retire that you actually reflect and give, give the time that's needed to reflect and, and, and appreciate what was achieved. Now, it's not to say you didn't appreciate it at the time, but you're just always looking at going to the next thing, to the next thing, to the next thing. You don't just get an opportunity to really sit back and, and, and um, appreciate it. It's not until you retire that you've got nothing else but to look at and appreciate. So, uh, yeah, I mean, I've got, in my at home here, I've got a bit of a man cave and, um, you know, I've got some of my special jerseys up. And, uh, you know, some people think, what do you, what do you got your... You know, this jersey hanging on the wall or like your own little shrine. It's not a shrine. It's just an appreciation of what was achieved. I, I, you know, I've got no qualms in looking at some of those, you know, memories and, you know, photos that bring back great memories. It's, um, it's good. I want to touch quickly before we wrap up. Um, when you announced your retirement and we mm. got to see the emotion, everyone came out. Did you realise how much you meant to the Broncos? And to the fans, like I remember fans coming on the field, they like it was such a momentous occasion. Yeah, uh, when I when I announced my retirement, it was it was a, it made it was a tough day, tough day. Um, it was was exactly what it is that it's coming to an end. And good things always come to some form of end, but then to see the. Um, the reaction that it had on the general public and the Bronco favourites and, and the rugby league community. And it was mind blowing and very, very much overwhelming. Um, my last club home game, the, the, the images of the people on the field and people that hung around and, and wore, you know, Cosa 13 uh, shirts and I'm face still masks. masks. We had, you had the masks in the stands. Really, Really overwhelming. I was very humbling to see that a you affected that many people, or you touched that many people so much so that they, you know, gave up their time just to, you know, appreciate what what you did. And um, mate, it's it's because you know, looking back, it, or, it, it, people don't have to do that. And, and you know, for me, it was it was. And we go back to when we first started this podcast, you know, with Cyril Connell when I was 15. And I vividly remember signing a, a, a scholarship to then 16 years, 347 games later for the club and then getting the, you know, the stamp of approval from the public on thank you very much was, was very, very much overwhelming and something I'll always cherish. And what was it like? The, the images that I love the most are seeing you with the with Margot and with the kids, how special was it to share those moments with them? I mean, they were only young at the time, but yeah, those images are basically that. Yeah, they're very special, and, and there's some real good ones in the book. And mate, if I have one, you know, I don't have many regrets in it. If I had a re one regret, one one would be having kids earlier, so they could enjoy more of the ride that I enjoyed. Um, I mean, it's it's yeah, you know, I had two, my two oldest. I've got memories of, you know, dad's footy career and what he did and what we, the, the times that we had. But, um, you know, if I had, I've obviously got four kids. There was two that sort of missed out on all that. And I think it's so special because there's, you need a why. You need a why you do things. Um, and that why changes over a period of time. And it doesn't matter if you're playing footy or, or whatever it is you're doing, you, you still need a why. So for me, when I first started, it was, I, I, my why was to, you know, go and play rugby league and, and get paid to do it. 
and that was great. That was, you know, what a dream it was to play for, you know, for a club that I loved and someone was going to pay you to do it. Then when you have kids and that, they're your why. And, and, and you know, you don't want to let them down. You want them to pass on some of the habits and instill the habits that you that I had that you want now. Um, and, and, you know, looking back, some of those great times, you know, grand finals and, you know, if your kids were older, it'd be, you know, it'd be really cool. Really cool for them to, to remember. Um, the two oldest ones of mine do, but the two youngest ones don't. Now they just sort of live through the stories that I tell them on a daily basis. <laughs> <laughs> and then just finally, Corey, because I got the chance to know you through a previous job and for me it was incredible because, like I said, growing up, and being a huge Broncos fan, I was a huge fan of yours. How did you handle post-retirement? Because you are one of the most disciplined people I know. Like, you still train every day. You yeah. love routine. How did you handle that, uh, handle that post? Well, it was... Um, it's something... I, I, uh, if, if you're in a professional sport and you are about to retire... No one can prepare you for it. Now, I had some avenues to walk down when I finished, and so that box was tick for me. But um, routine is what you build your career on, and and consistency. And then all of a sudden, no one's you know when you retire, it's not there. So you then got to formulate it yourself. So you know the reality when you're at school, you're at school from age of five to seventeen. You get told when to go to school, when to have your lunch, when to have your holiday, what to wear, what time to turn up. Okay, that's all given to you. When you turn 17, as for me, I then went into the Broncos, they tell you what to wear, when to have your holidays, when to turn up at training. You know, so I was 17 to 34. So for the majority of my life, I, to some degree, was somewhat routine, told what to do, when to do it. And then at 34, when I retired, no one's telling me what to do. No one's telling me how to do it, where to be, and all that stuff. Um, and it was a real void I, I needed to fill. Um, so how do I fill it? Well, get some routine back in life. So for me, and still to this day, get up at the same time, do the same things. I'm a very much creature of habit, um, but that's just who I am. And, and that's I don't know any, way, any other way to be. And uh, I, 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 you know, the advice I give to players that are retiring or have just retired is find a routine because whether you like it or not, that's what you've done for the last 10 years or 20 or 15, however long that's been. Um, that's what you've done. You need to fulfill that. You need, otherwise you go insane. You go, you go mad, you go silly, you go, you start doing things you normally wouldn't do. Um, so I just think that's really important for ex footballers to find routine because that's what you built your career on. This has been an absolute privilege uh, and an honour to sit down and talk with you, mate. I'll send you through a photo of that, um, yeah, the signatures. I don't know how I've ended up with those, but um, mm. really cool. Mate, thank you again, Corey. Uh, appreciate it, and I'll catch up with you soon. No, thanks, Snowy. It's, it's been a long time coming, mate. Um, I enjoy your company and hug all as well. That wraps up another episode of On The Hill Podcast. Thank you so much to Corey Parker, one of the true gentlemen of the game, for sitting down and sharing his time. As I said at the top of the podcast, if you haven't done so yet, please head along to Apple Podcasts, Spotify, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, wherever you get your podcasts from. Search On The Hill Podcast, then make sure that you like, comment, subscribe, follow, leave me a review and check out the back catalogue while you're there. Until next week, see ya. This is On The Hill with Snowy.